Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. You may be seated, and please direct your attention to the screen. What was he? That's the question. Jesus Christ, who are you? Get the connection. We are made to know Christ. We're made to know this massive Christ. This world is little two-second slights, and then with him or not forever. What makes Jesus different from the rest of God's children? Try this. Who is Jesus Christ? He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Son of God. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Wonderful Counselor. He is the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. And he is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Well, yes and amen. We're fired up and ready to roll. Amen? Amen. Hey, one of the things I forgot to mention is out there in the lobby, um, there are some note cards, and, and we want you to write some messages to those pastors and to that church, letting them know that you love them and that you're praying for them. So today, on your way out, you can stop by the lobby there and jot one of those cards down and put it into the basket there. But hey, we are in the book of Colossians. We're glad that you're here. If you're viewing online, welcome. Let us know where you're watching from today, and primarily at Westside, we just sort of study books of the Bible line by line, word by word. And so we are in Colossians chapter 1. And what we're learning, and by the way, just today we're diving right in. So there's no like introductory, like in 1730, this guy said that we're just diving right in today, okay? Um, we learned that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Christians living in Colossae. And we learned that Paul's never met them, actually. Uh, Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus in Acts 19. You can read about this. And there was a guy there by the name of Epaphras. Men, remember we learned about Epaphras uh, Wednesday at Westside Men. And Epaphras goes home to his hometown, starts telling people about Jesus, and plants a church. Well, the apostle Paul gets put in prison for preaching the gospel. And I mean, like, what do you do with the apostle Paul? They're like, hey, man, you can't preach Jesus or we'll kill you. And he's like, well, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And they're like, yeah, well, we'll put you in jail. And he's like, yeah, well, I'm going to pray and sing, and everybody in jail is going to get saved, okay? Like, I mean, this guy. And so he writes a letter to the Colossians because Epaphras comes and says, hey, here's the good things that are going on, but, man, there's also some false teaching. 
And, and we're going to learn about that today, actually. There's some false teaching that has crept into the church. What do I do about this? And so Paul writes the letter to the Colossians and sends it with Epaphras. Um, it's known as Paul's prison letters. And so Paul actually wrote a number of the books of the Bible while he was in prison. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon. I mean, like, think of what are you going to do with this guy? Like, we're going to put you in jail. And he's like, well, I'm going to write books of the Bible, man. I mean, this guy's incredible. It's just unbelievable. And Colossians is one of those. But when you know that backstory, and then you begin to read it and know that he's in a Roman prison cell, and through history, I mean, he is in a rat-infested sewage-filled, sleeping on the floor, chained either to a guard or to a wall. That's why he says later on in the letter, remember my chains. He is in a horrible environment. And then you read these words that he writes. It changes the game on the context. And it also reminded me of this, that as you look at this letter, he doesn't know if he's going to live or not. He doesn't know if the jailer's coming down the hallway and he's getting ready to get his head cut off. And that's the way that Paul actually died, is that he got his head cut off by the Roman emperor. It lets me know that everything that he writes is probably pretty important. That if you're getting a letter, that if you're getting ready to die, and you're writing a letter to someone, the things that are in that letter are going to be priority numero uno. This is the important stuff. And, and when I thought about that, the word priority just kept coming to mind. And, and the definition of the word priority is this. Something that you think is more important than other things and should be dealt with first. That's a priority. So if I were to ask you, um, what are your priorities? You'd probably sit and think a little bit. Like, man, it seems like when I wake up every day, I've got a thousand things that are fighting for that priority list. But we can actually know. I can actually uh, find out what your priorities are and the same for you to me as well um, in two primary ways that we see in the scriptures. Your money and your minutes. That's where your priorities are. How you spend your money and what you spend your money on and then your time. Those two things are so valuable and precious to us that where we spend it and use it are most definitely our priorities. And when we look at the passage today, it's a prayer of the Apostle Paul. And so thinking about that in mind, the priorities, that this guy doesn't know if he's going to live or die, he's laying down the priorities in the prayer. I believe that this is our thesis today, and it's this. The priorities of our prayers should be to know God's will and live God's way. That's what I see when I look at these verses in the prayer of the Apostle Paul. He lays down the priorities. This is what the priority should be in your life and as a church. And I'm praying for you for these things. It's to know God's will. We're going to talk about that. And then to live God's way. We're going to talk about how to do that. What does that look like? But before we do that, I thought it would be so important. We, we can't look beyond that this is a prayer that Paul is praying. 
And so I want to look at just some practical prayer helps for us. Because I think prayer, man, it's, it's difficult. It's one of the things that we know that we should be doing. And it's one of the things that everybody always says that they should be doing more. So just really quickly, I think looking at Paul's prayer, I think we can draw a number of insights. And by the way, men, uh, this should look familiar. We talked about this at Westside Men. And by the way, your challenge, I'm about to call you out right now in front of your wife, okay? Uh, the challenge was for you to go home and to pray out loud with your wife and your kids, okay? So you need to do that before next Wednesday or we will call you out and shame you to the glory of God. No, I'm just kidding, okay? I'm just saying, ladies, that was the challenge, all right? Okay, so let's look at this. Some practical prayer principles. The first one, this. Find a time. Find a time. The question is not, um, do I have enough time? The question is, how am I managing my time? Find a specific time. I believe that starting your day in prayer is massively important giving those first moments to God. If I don't pray in the morning, I can tell by 10 or 11 o'clock, I have not prayed today. Anybody else, right? I've talked to some people, the great time for them is in their car, maybe on the way to work or on the way home from work, just turning the radio, turning everything off and praying. Secondly, find a place. The reason why I think this is important is for a life of consistent prayer, finding something special like that is a... Anytime we see somebody interact or encounter God in the scriptures. Um, they say that that place is special, Bethel or this, that, or the other. It's a place where they've encountered God. The third thing, find your Bible. Listen, the Bible is like the diving board that plunges us into the pool of prayer. That when we're praying, that we know what God desires. And, and we simply said this, that prayer is a conversation with God. It's talking to God as Father. And in our prayer, we're responding to what God has already said, praying the promises of God. Have your Bible. Um, this, find a partner. This is massively important. Paul says in verse 9, look at that. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul always is praying with people. If you want to um, have a consistent prayer life, and be held accountable in your prayer life, find a prayer partner. And listen, I've learned this over the years. You can find out and deepen a relationship with someone in five minutes of prayer more than you could going to church with them for five years. I mean, it's one of the most practical ways to deepen your relationship is to pray with each other. And then this, find a list. It's the challenge that we lay down to our kids' side kids. I see that in the Apostle Paul. And then in 1 Corinthians, he says that he prays daily for all of the churches. Man, having a prayer list and writing that down is powerful not only for you, because then you get to go back and see how God's answered these prayers, but also when you're gone and your family and your loved ones go and look and see that prayer list that you've been praying um, just recently, I got to do a funeral for a dear saint, and I always love to, to use uh, someone's Bible who's a Christian, and I preach from their Bible, because I think you can just tell so much about someone about their scriptures, and so they gave me the Bible, and, and in the Bible, there was a notebook in there, and the notebook literally was filled every page with names, names of her children, names of her husband, names of the loved ones that she was praying for and to be able to stand up at that service and to say this is what this person meant and this is what she did for you is a powerful thing and then lastly this pray 
Like, I think that we learn to pray by simply praying. So listen, I think these are practical. I think you can put these in uh, starting your week on Monday. But listen, we see that the Apostle Paul lays down some priorities in prayer. And the first one is this, to know God's will. Pray to know God's will. Um, Knowing God's will is pretty big language in the church. I mean, it's the thing that a lot of us Christians say. I just want to know, I just want to be in God's will. I just want to know God's will. And, and I don't have enough time to get into this today, but I would love to do a whole series on this because I believe a lot of us are taught what I like to call the dot theology of God's will. That God's will is a dot. And, and you've got to be on this little specific dot. And that if you're not on that dot, then everything in your life is just going to go horrible. And you've got to get it. And then it's all this pressure and all this like, oh man, do I buy a Chevy? Do I buy a Ford? Do I, I just want to be in God's will. I just want to be in God's will. And then it's like a fairy unicorn running around. It's like we can never find God's will. Um, I don't think that's what the scriptures teach about God's will. And we're going to find out that God's will is revealed in God's word. But look in verse 9 what he says. And so from the day that we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Hey, Paul, what are you praying? Glad you asked. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's good stuff. And then look at the end of verse 10. Um, Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Um, two things. The word filled there that Paul uses means busting at the seams. It means literally overflowing. That's what Paul says, that we can know God's will and that it can be overflowing in our lives. But Paul has a favorite word that he uses in the book of Colossians. And it's that word knowledge right there. Um, one of the reasons we said that Paul's writing this letter is to correct false teaching that's come into the church. And what we know through history is this. Some people rose up from within the church. And by the way, how many of you know that the greatest tactic that the enemy has is to cause division from within? I mean, look at our nation, look at churches, look at relationships, always. Because an attack from the outside actually unifies people. But if division happens from within, it crumbles from the inside. And these false teachers came in And they started teaching, oh, you want knowledge? Oh, man, we've got knowledge. We've got secret knowledge. And and listen, it all can't be found just in the Bible. And, And Jesus, yes, he was a good man. And yes, Jesus was divine. But Jesus actually... Jesus actually was the first thing that God created. Jesus is kind of like an angel. And you know what? With this secret knowledge, you can actually be God yourself. That's the, that's the teaching that came in. That's why Paul uses a certain word for the word knowledge. The teaching that I'm describing is the word called Gnosticism. This is what it looks like in the original language for the two of you who care. And it's where we get the word Gnosis. That's the false teaching. Gnosticism. And man, as I studied this week and read and poured through the scriptures, the scriptures have a lot to say about false teaching. I mean, in Jude chapter 1, it tells us to contend for the faith. And then in uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, uh, it says that what the pastor's job of the church is, is to preach the gospel and to correct any false teaching that comes in. And then reading church history, how much the church fathers spoke and taught about teaching the right 
stuff. And it's so sad that when we don't hear that type of teaching anymore, and maybe the reason we're in the state that we're in is because we don't go back and teach what the Bible teaches. And so listen, today, I need to be a shepherd and I need to be a pastor. But one of the reasons we said the goal of our series is this, found in chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says these words in Colossians 1, 28. He says that everybody would be presented mature in Christ. But how do we do that? We said that in this series, we want people to meet Jesus and mature in Jesus. Well, how do we do that, Paul? Well, we teach people, but then we also warn people. And so listen, I I think you know me if you've been coming here long enough. I'm not the guy to be like, if you're listening, if you're reading it, then you're going. That's not who I am, right? I grew up in that. I grew up in guys yelling at me that Jesus loved me. And I was like, why are you so mad then if Jesus, I don't understand, right? But listen, just as a good doctor would say, um, don't eat this, don't do this. So a pastor should say to his people with warning, don't pursue this. Don't do. We said that God is a loving father. And when God says don't, he means don't hurt yourself. That's what he means. And so Paul said you can be filled with the knowledge of God. But the false teachers of Gnosticism came in and said, no, no, no. In order for your life to have fulfillment and to be filled, this is what you need. And so I want to look at what Gnosticism teaches. And what it teaches is, is a false filling. And, and, and what does that look like? Well, the first things are this. Gnosticism teaches that fulfillment is found in escaping any natural order. What I mean by the natural order is the way in which God created it. Gnosticism says that the physical world is bad. Well, the Bible says that when God created everything, He said that it was good. And so a Gnostic teaching would say, oh, no, no, no. For your marriage to thrive, you don't need to do marriage just solely like the Bible says, or for your identity or for sexuality or for any of that stuff. Fulfillment's not found there. You've got to go outside of God. God doesn't have enough of what you need, and you need to go around and pursue these other things. Or the second thing, um, fulfillment is found by looking within Gnosticism teaches that you have a spark of divinity inside of you and that the problem is is that you need to find that and pull that out. And when you do, then you'll arrive at a higher learning and a deeper relationship. Well, the Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the whole point of salvation is that we are broken left to ourselves. Um, Gnosticism also teaches that fulfillment is found in following your feelings. Because, listen, the whole point is uh, what feels good. And, And if it gives you energy and excitement and makes you feel good, then that's your truth. And you should pursue that and you should find that. And the only thing that's wrong in the world is people that tell you not to pursue that. And if anybody in your life tells you not to pursue what feels good, then you don't need those people in your life. Those people are negative and you got to get, does any of this sound familiar? Are we like on it today, right? And the problem with that is um, our feelings are a poor gauge. I'm sorry, they're a good gauge, but a poor guide. I mean, if we follow our if I let my kids follow their feelings, we're eating ho-hos and cotton candy 24-7. But hey, listen, look up here. What's different than us? 
I mean, our feelings lead us to some dangerous places. And the last thing, fulfillment is found in creating your own identity. That's it. You got to do it yourself, man. You got to find who you are. And what works for you is what works for you. And that is simply who you are. And here's what's dangerous about this. And what was dangerous about the false teachers is they would sprinkle in a little bit of Bible. They would sprinkle in a little bit of truth. And so you're like, well, yeah, they, man, they, okay, they said this. And that's why I always say the statement, just because it's in a Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's Christian. That, that's some of the most dangerous teaching is that it's sprinkled with a little bit of truth. But really what Gnosticism does is that it pulls from a lot of different things. And, and I think a great illustration of this, I thought, was... Um, you remember back in the day when you used to be able to go places? Anybody remember those days? That was great. That was a lot of fun, right? And, and how about this? Do you remember way back in the day the thing called a mall? Do you remember a mall, right? I know Amazon killed the mall, right? But anytime that we go to a mall as a family, there's one store that always gets you. Gets every family. It gets you. You can't walk by, and you already have 17 of them at your house. And it's Build-A-Bear, Okay. Am I preaching? I'm preaching, okay? You walk by, and it's like, we got to have one, and it's like, we got one last time. And by the way, Build-A-Bear, can you come down on those prices and help a mom and dad out? That ain't nothing but a stuffed teddy bear. You're going to hit me for $45 for that thing? Golly. And so what do you get to do at Build-A-Bear, right? You get to go through the line. You get to make your own little teddy bear. It's the own identity, this, that. I want a cowboy. I want a sports one. Then you get the little heart. You get to put that in and do all of that, um, and the dangerous thing about false teaching and what I see now many Christians doing is many Christians have what I like to call a build-a-bear theology, which means, ooh, I'm going to take a little bit of, man, you know Jesus, man, you know what I like about Jesus is when Jesus said that, like, don't judge. Mm, man, I love that thing, man. Why are y'all judging me, man? And the love thing, love, I'm going to take a little bit of that. And the, But when he was like, I'm Lord and you have to surrender your entire life to me. I don't think he really said that in the Greek. I don't think that's really there. And so well, I'm going to pull and I'm going to pick and choose and I'm going to build my own little build-a-bear theology. Because in my marriage, I don't think, you know, Paul, I mean, Paul, I, got a, I read a blog one time that said Paul didn't really mean this. And so, and you have your own little build-a-bear theology. I love what St. Augustine said, the early church father. He said, if you read what you like in the Gospels and believe only what you like and leave the rest, it's not actually Jesus that you believe in, but it's yourself. And, and I know what you're saying, Pastor Jason, what in the world? This is an old first century heresy. Like, it's 2021, bro. Tomorrow's Monday. I got bills. I got a job. I got to figure some stuff out. I got this going on with my family. Well, um, it's important for us to know this. Because A, God's word is timeless. Amen? That it's always up to date. That's why we don't just believe in, uh, what the, the term is the inerrancy of Scripture, which means that it's without error. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. That everything that is in here, as First Peter says, um, is enough for you that pertains to life and godliness. That's why we study it. Secondly, these truths are still alive and well today that they still creep in. And what we see in the New Testament are letters that are written to Christians that wonder. 
Listen, we are still prone to wonder. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart and seal it for thy courts above. That we're constantly drifting and have to be brought back. So what's some popular... This is the part of the sermon where everybody's going to get offended, but love you. Welcome to Westside. Glad you're here, okay? So where's modern Gnosticism? How is it creeping in? Where do we see these areas? Um, well, the first one is um, Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. Remember that? Right? Sold over 80 million copies. Um, the movie was, eh, not Tom Hanks' best. Loved him in Castaway. Thought it was a lot better. You know, Wilson, the volleyball made me cry. Okay, right? Um, what the Da Vinci Code teaches, and by the way, this is in the fiction section, okay? It's right next to Harry Potter, right? When this book came out, I had people going, do you know about this? And then I sent them Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I was like, do you know about this? It's fake, Okay, And what this teaches is um, the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Mary, uh, which, by the way, were first or second century writings that came out hundreds of years later, fully agreed that they're not authentic, teaches that the real Jesus is not the real Jesus in the Bible, that what you need is you need to incorporate this mysticism, and there's all these secret codes, man. you got to look out for the codes, man, because on the back of your dollar bill, it's got that pyramid, man, and it's got that eye on that pyramid, man, and what you need to know about the pyramid, man, is, I mean, that's all this is, man, okay? All a bunch of this conspiracy stuff, right? Or um, how about this one? Uh, the secret... The Secret on Oprah's top book, uh, 30 million copies sold. The Secret teaches that um, you, you can be equal with God. You can be your own God. And that's inside of you, that spark. And, and, and the problem is, is that the world's beat that down and people have lied to you. And, and sure, you can use a little bit of Jesus, but you can also use a little bit of Muhammad and a lot of these other things. And all of those same religions are the same because it helps us get to the divine. I mean, you've probably seen this everywhere. Or how about this third one? Uh, the third one called The Third Jesus by Deepak Chopra. Deepak's on a lot of talk shows and early morning shows. The third Jesus, he says, is uh, it's not the historical Jesus, right? Yeah, that the Jesus of the Bible is a little bit of the truth, but you need to see what the Quran says about it, and you need to go here, and you need to do it. By the way, I read this when I was in St. Louis to try to understand the modern heresies and stuff, and I couldn't even finish it. Like, I mean, I was reading by myself arguing with myself like nope nope and doing stuff like that right listen these these controversies are modern here today I was just speaking with my wife about a very popular best-selling book for women that came out that taught modern Gnosticism now the writer is divorced left her husband now she's messing around with crystals and stuff like this I mean guys this is prevalent here today or how about this um, the new modern conspiracy with QAnon. Well, I got your attention now, right? You're leaning in. All of, well, you got to find the codes, man. And it's, see, this is the real narrative. And this is the real, and salvation is only from this political party. And we put not your trust, put not your trust in princes and in chariots, but put your trust in the Lord God of Israel. We do not follow a donkey and we do not follow an elephant. We follow a lamb of God. That's where our agenda is. And there's no secret knowledge pertaining to this. 
Or how about this? Now, nowadays, you have to be woke. You got to be woke now to talk about this. And so, um, look, it's about knowledge. This is the definition of it. And so now you can't even, and by the way, um, racism is a grievous and horrible sin that will not be tolerated by the church of Jesus Christ. But, but listen, yeah, absolutely, we can clap for that. That's great. That's awesome, right? But listen, anytime it's now where you can't enter in this conversation, you can't even talk about this because you don't know. And what you need to do is you need to go over here and you need to get this education. And you guys, listen. All of these things the church of Jesus Christ is constantly getting berated with all the time. You are all the time. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. The filling and purpose of your life does not come from those areas. And listen, this is the tactic that the enemy used from the very beginning. Look at what we see in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? There it is. That's it. We see it in every new century, every generation. Somebody comes along and says, everything that you need to know about God and have a relationship isn't found here. That you need to add something to that. Did God really say that marriage is this? Did God really say your money should look like this? Did God really say that this is the way. And then later on we see this. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And here it is. You will be like God. That's the temptation. That's the temptation that you and I battle every single day of our life. You might think it's addiction. You might think it's pornography. You might think it's lying. You might think it's underneath all of that is the lie and the temptation of pride that I can be my own God. And it comes out in statements like, well, honey, this is just the way I am. And you can love it or leave it. Well, I'm sorry. First off, who are you, right? And secondly, that sounds like you saying that you're the king of your cosmos and your universe. And what all of these little teachings do is it allows us to build all of that ourselves. And why is this so important to know? Listen, following false teaching is fatal. It is fatal. It only ends in destruction. And from the prosperity gospel to woke gospel to all of this stuff, it's now coming in to the church of Jesus. And here's the temptation that, that, that in order for your marriage to work, that you need some other knowledge, that, that it's not just what's in here. And the problem with your spouses and the relationship and your family member, and this is the temptation, to go somewhere other than to God. That's the great lie. That's the great temptation. And please listen to me. It will only end in destruction. For there's a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it destroys him. So what is God's will then? How are we supposed to know it? Listen, here's a sentence that I believe that could change your life. God's will is this. God's will is that you would live God's way as revealed in God's word, by God's Spirit. That's God's will. And God actually gives us freedom of choices. God wants you to make choices. You say, well, Pastor, you got a Bible verse for that? I do. I'm so glad you asked. Um, in the beginning, God said, uh, all of this is yours, 
but don't eat of this tree. Why did God say that? Well, because there was a choice there. He wanted Adam and Eve to love them, love him out of their free will choice. Because love is a choice. But then he said, everything else is yours. So question, God said one tree was off limits. He said everything else was theirs. How many other trees were there in the garden? No idea. Which tells me this, God's permission far outweighs God's restrictions. And God wants us to choose and to make choices and to grow in maturity. Just like you as parents want your kids to learn to reason. So I don't think God's will for your life should be this fear-mongering, oh man, am I in it, and I don't, and the job, and all of this. God's will is that you would live God's way as revealed in God's word. And listen, there's some stuff that you don't even have to pray about. How crazy is that? Like, don't gossip. Well, I'm really going to go to the Lord today to see if I should really gossip or not. Still seeking clarity on that situation, whether I should commit adultery or not. Um, no, you don't got to pray about that, right? Because it's been revealed in his word and then empowered by his spirit. That's Paul's priority. The priorities in our prayers should be, number one, to know God's will. You should pray that for yourself. You should pray that for all Christians. You should pray that for this church. That's a priority. And priority number two is this, that we would live God's way. That we would live God's way. You see, this knowledge does something. Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Actually, I'm going to back up and read verse 9, and then you'll see the thrust in this. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance... And patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And now here's verses 13 and 14. This is the gospel, man. This is good. Listen to this. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. And He's transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Yes, but listen, Paul says, knowing God's will has an effect on your life. Knowing God's will leads to living God's way. That's why these two verses is why we say here at Westside, what you believe determines how you behave. Here's what we're not interested in here at the church is behavior modification. We are not interested in that. that. It's not a bunch of don't, 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 don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls that do, or do this, or rated our movies unless it's the Passion of the Christ, or don't, 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 don't. Now, we warn just like we just did and say, hey, this isn't helpful. But the motivation underneath that is right belief. That's why when a child lies to you, hey, did you eat the cookie? No. There's cookie all on their face. In that moment... They loved the cookie and they loved themselves more than they loved you in the relationship. Belief, what we believe determines how we behave. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, you can live a life that's fully pleasing to God. Well, well what does a worthy life look like? How are we supposed to do that? I want to run through these really quickly. They're all coming right out of verses 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. The first one is this, is that it's fruitful that you would bear fruit, that there's evidence. 
that there's change in your life. One of the things I love about the men's ministry and the women's ministry is seeing the fruit of change that happens in people's lives. My wife had a conversation with a lady who said, I'm so grateful that the men's thing's happening. Um, my husband's been a little bit different. And the other day in church, I heard him singing. Listen, I know God's got a hold of a man when I hear a man sing in church. That there's evidence. I'm, I'm not talking about perfection. That's not goodness gracious. But what I am talking about is progression. That there's fruit. That there's evidence of that. Uh, the second thing is this that I see. It's not just fruitful, but it's worshipful. He says that you are increasing in the knowledge of God there in verse 10. Increasing in knowledge. The way the word increasing is there means um, perpetual. That, that as you walk with Jesus, you're growing in knowledge of Jesus. But why is that worshipful? We say here at Westside that we define worship like this. It has nothing to do with your personal preferences and really not even much to do with song itself. Worship is a response to revelation, to the Word of God, and to the work of Christ. When that is revealed, it requires a response. And that response is worship. So as you walk with Jesus and come and grow in your knowledge of Jesus, you begin to love Jesus more. That's why when we see relationships for people who've been married 30, 40, 50 years, and they're still growing in their knowledge and loving each other, that's what this looks like. It's fruitful. It's worshipful. How about this? It's faithful. Look at what he says in verse 11. That you would be strengthened with all power, dunamis, according to his glorious might, here it is, for all endurance and patience. Um, the word endurance that's used there pertains to circumstances. And then patience deals with people. So here's what Paul's saying. That if you go to God in prayer and you ask God for His will in prayer, that He will give you endurance for whatever circumstance you're facing, and He will give you patience with people and relationships. That a worthy walk with Jesus is faithful. And listen, God's doing something in my own heart and my own mind. I am all about longevity and faithfulness right now. I believe that's going to be the sheer sign of a mark of a, of, of a follower of Jesus Christ is faithfulness. You know why? Because the world is filled with fickleness. A lot of people sign up. A lot of people start. A lot of people do this. A lot of people have a crisis moment. Listen, I praise God for those crisis moments. And I praise God that you made that pledge. And you're like, we're going to come together more to church as a family. And we really need to start doing this more. I praise God for that moment. But listen, it's not about intensity. It's about consistency. An intense Christian life is a consistent Christian life. So I know when we come to the Bible and we want to come to church and we make the pledge as a family and we think coming to church a couple, you know, three Sundays in a row, woo, baby, we're doing it now. God, this is going to be intense. But the reality is, is that change happens over time in that consistentness. And listen, some of you today, this is the word for you that you walked in here today and whatever relationship that you had going on, you were ready to hit the eject button and you were ready to bail. And listen, I, here's what I'm saying. I don't have all the answers. 
I don't have all the answers to the relationship, but here's what I am saying, that a priority in your prayer life is that if you go to God and you ask for endurance and patience before you hit the eject button, don't bail now. Don't bail on her. Don't bail on him. Don't bail on the relationship. Ask God to give you endurance and patience and watch God answer the prayer. Watch him answer the prayer. But there's something else with that. It's not just to be faithful It's also to be thankful. Look at what Paul says, that we're supposed to have all endurance and patience, and then right there at the end, with joy. That's the key. Because we're not supposed to be like, I'm in this relationship and I'm not going anywhere. I've got endurance and I've got a little bit of patience and Jesus loves you and so do I, baby, and we're in this. It's not that, okay? Though it is some days, okay? Though it is some days. But what it is, is that it's with joy that you can actually have joy. And I know what you're asking. Jason, how am I supposed to have joy? Well, that's actually the last thing, is that you get joy through thankfulness. Look at what he says. With joy, giving thanks to the Father. Look up here. I can draw a direct line from this. That if there's no joy in your walk with Jesus and there's no joy in your life now... You are probably a person that focuses and sees a lot of negative that's going on right now. Listen, I get that way sometimes. I'm like every relationship, everything's broken, there's problems everywhere, and then there's no joy. And listen, the enemy of contentment is comparison. And what you're doing is, is you're comparing your life with things that you either don't have or things that other people have. That's why social media is such a wake of devastation when it comes to this. Because you see that little picture of the family and you're like, well, our kids, my kid just stabbed the other kid the other day. Our family doesn't even look like this. And look at him. He prays with his kids and she doesn't do. And I can't believe And you're focusing on everything that you don't have. But listen, take this to the bank. Get a blank sheet of paper and start writing on it and thanking God for everything that you have. Hey, how many of you are going home today to a warm house? Just show of hands. Raise your hand. You thankful to God for that? Just start it, man. Just start writing that. And listen, if you start doing that, you will have joy come rushing into your life. And yes, there's things that you don't have. And yes, there's problems and situations. But you can endure them and have joy because of thankfulness. But Paul says that there's an underwriting thankfulness here. And it's three words that I want you to see in the text. Verse 12. Giving thanks to God the Father. Why, Paul? Why am I giving thanks to the Father? Here it is. Who's qualified you? That's number one. Underline qualified in your Bible. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Do you know what that means? That means that God hasn't just forgiven you in Christ. That means that you get everything that Jesus has. That God hasn't just forgiven you, but that He rewards you. That He set His love and affection on you. That while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. And do you know what moves me now? It's not just that He saw me in my brokenness in my life and qualified me. It's that He chose me. And knowing that even after He chose me, I would still wonder after other things. And He still loves me. And he knew that my heart would prone to wonder after other things that I would find fulfillment in. And he didn't bail. 
He didn't say, listen, I'm not just going to choose you now, but when you wander later on, I'm out of this relationship. He sticks close, that he's qualified you. The second word is this, verse 13, that he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. And then the last one is this, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have much to be thankful for in a world filled with despair and hopelessness. So here's what I want to do. I want to create a space for us to actually practice this. Imagine that. Imagine hearing a sermon on prayer and what the priorities are and then praying. That would be nuts. Doing what we've learned in church, right? And there's a Bible verse that has meant so much to me when it comes to this idea of prayer. And it's Jeremiah 33, 3. I've committed it to memory. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and marvelous things that you have not yet known. Call to me. God says that if you call, He will answer and He will show you things. Listen, the temptation in here today is to go anywhere but to God for your marriage, for your kids, for everything. We want the quick fix. We want the easy thing. Show me the thing, and then I can maybe sprinkle a little bit on Jesus, uh, of Jesus on top of that. But the answer is to go to God as Father who has good gifts for us and wants to give them to you. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray where you're at. And I've got some prayer prompts here to help us, to maybe help you with prayer. These are some specific things that I'm going to be praying for, that I want you to be praying for where you're at today. The first one is this. I want you to pray for clarity where there's confusion. Some of you walked in here today, and there's a relationship that is hemorrhaging, bleeding at the jugular. Or maybe there's a job thing that's going on. Or maybe there's some serious decisions that you have to make, and there's confusion. Call to me. And I'll answer you, and I will show you some clarity on those things. The second thing is this. Pray for hope where there's despair. Listen, despair and hopelessness is a dangerous place to be. And many of us are living, gosh, some of us have thought of ending our own lives and we feel so alone. Please listen to me today. Please listen. You're known. You matter. You're loved and you're created by God. Don't give up that there's hope for you. That there's hope for you. That God will answer and will show you. The other thing is this. To pray for thankfulness where there's any bitterness. Instead of praying for what you don't have or asking God to quick fix the situation, pray for what you do have and thank God for it. And pray and thank God maybe even for the person that you're in conflict with. And watch your heart and mind change. And then the last thing, to pray for faithfulness in any relationship or circumstance where there's fickleness. Some of us came in today with our hand on the eject button. Even with the church thing. Even with the Jesus thing. It's been hard and I'm done. I'm bailing. Listen, today ask God for endurance and for patience and watch him answer so Westside stand to your feet right where you're at Jesus said that my house will be a house of prayer he didn't say a house of preaching he didn't say a house of singing he said a house of prayer and I'm going to pray for these things in just a moment and I want you to pray for yourself right where you're at 
I want you to pray for these things. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in here today, Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today in this place. Holy Spirit, I'm just asking that you would move. God, I pray for the people that need clarity in their life right now. God, there's people who've walked in today. There's decisions. The enemy's touting and showing confusion. They feel pressure. They feel shame. They feel guilt. And God, today I'm just asking that you would show them clarity in a relationship, in a job, in something that's going on, that you would reveal the next step that you have for them. God, I'm praying for the people in here today who don't have hope. God, God, they're living in despair. God, I'm praying for the person, for the wife, or for the husband who've walked in here today and there's no joy in the marriage. There's no joy in the parenting. And right now it just seems problem after problem. God, I would pray, Jesus, right now, Jesus, the grave is empty and the throne is occupied, that we have hope that it's not over. God, I pray that they would know right now that their current situation is not their final destination, that this season in their life is not forever, but that you're working and that you're doing something in their life. God, I pray right now that the people in this room would begin to just start thanking you for what they have. God, they have health in this room. God, they have a job in this room. God, that they're going home to a home that, that they're not going to starve today. God, I pray that the thankfulness would go up to you and that the joy would start rushing in to their lives. God, I pray today that there would be faithfulness in this room, that we wouldn't give up. God, that's the word I just feel so strongly today, God, that what you're saying to somebody in this room today is don't give up, don't stop, but keep moving forward. Keep praying for that prodigal. Keep praying for your dad. Keep praying for your mom. Keep praying for your grandpa. Keep praying for your mother. Keep praying. Don't stop. And God, you'll meet us there. Call to me and I'll answer you. And I'll show you great and marvelous things that you've not yet known. God, I believe that you'll break addictions. I believe that you'll give hope where there's despair. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Comfort those that need comforting today. And convict those that need convicting where they were going anywhere else to get this knowledge. God, the temptation's so great to go somewhere other than to you. And I pray today that we would humbly bow our knee. And that we would say, Jesus, you're Lord of all. Nothing in our hands we bring, but simply to the cross we cling. In the name of Jesus Christ, the resurrected King and Savior, we pray all of these things. Amen.